Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, we're in week two of our series called Words. I don't know if you know this, I thought it would be appropriate, but uh, in April 20th, 1964, Nelson Mandela stood trial before the Pretoria Supreme Court in South Africa. In fact, South Africa is a nation that almost completely surrounds the nation of Swaziland, or now Eswatini. And in his opening statements before the Supreme Court, where he was on trial facing a life sentence, in the beginning, he, he had an opportunity to stand up and talk about his frustrations and concerns and his mission to end the racial segregation and abuse due to the apartheid. And I want you to listen to the words that Nelson Mandela spoke. I think they're profound and, and impact our life. He said this, during my lifetime, I have dedicated my life to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons will live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. And it's an ideal for which I hope to live for and to see realized. But my Lord, if it need be, it's an ideal for which I am prepared to die. And shortly after he shared these words, he was sentenced by a completely racist Supreme Court to a life sentence in prison, of which he only served 26 years and then was released and, and let those words resonate through the country and actually brought a peaceful new beginning to an entire nation. And those words that he spoke, they turned the tide and freed an oppressed people and they shaped a nation. And the series that we're in is about some words that were spoken by someone even more significant than Nelson Mandela. Words that were spoken that were more powerful than any words ever before or since heard by human ears. It was words spoken by Jesus. It's all based around a sermon that he preached, referred to as a sermon on the mount. In fact, theologians believe that wherever he went, he just re-preached these words. In other words, it was that important. And I think if you and I will lean in today and over the next few weeks in this series, perhaps God will shape and begin something new in each of us. Can we pray? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're up to something big and we wanna lean into it. We wanna lean into the fullness of whatever it is you wanna say or do. And God, we wanna continue here in 2019 to allow your words to shape our lives to allow your words to define us, to allow your words to create and spark hope within us. So God, I just thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for what you're doing in the family room today. And for those that are listening online, I pray you lean in so close and do something amazing in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. That just means I agree. Well, there's two different kinds of people in this room today, all right? I'm just going to go ahead and segregate you right now. Two different kinds of people. There are those of you that celebrate and plan your own birthday party, 
and there's everyone else. How many of you are the, I like to plan my birthday party? Raise your hand. You're unashamed about it, right? You're like, this is my birthday month, right? How many of you are in? And then there's the rest of us who are adults. Can I get an amen? My wife is like, she actually, this year is her birthday year. She just reminds me every morning, it's my birthday year. I'm like, babe, are you kidding me right now? And she punches me, y'all pray for me. Two different people in this room, those that plan your own birthday party, the rest of us, but do you remember the first time, maybe you haven't had this experience yet, depending on your age in this room, but do you remember the first time where it dawned on you that you had to work the entire day on your birthday? Do you remember that first day? And you're just angry. You're probably in the age between 15 and 20, hopefully closer to 16 for some of you. If you've never worked on your birthday, we're praying for you unless you're still in high school and then you get a hall pass. And you're like, what in the world? I have to work on my birthday? And then you go and you whine and complain to adults and they laugh in your face. Like, welcome to being an adult. And there's something about that. There's, there's just something about the idea or the notion that some things which seem to be horrible aren't as bad as they actually seem in the moment. Are you tracking with me today? There are some things that you and I feel like they'll take us out and knock us out, knock us down, but in the end, they make us stronger. Yeah. I think there's a song that goes with that. I'm, I'm tempted to sing it, but I won't for your sake. And that's exactly what Jesus is communicating in this sermon. In fact, we see this beautifully uh, depicted parallel of Jesus to the Old Testament. For those of you that care, it, the, the, the parallel imagery is Moses who goes up Mount Sinai and, and he gets the law from God and then he gives it to the people of Israel. And now in the New Testament, we see Jesus ascend to a mountain to receive from his father things that he wants to teach and impart and inspire in his disciples. It's this kingdom mentality. In other words, he says, hey, there's another way to do life. There's another way to look at the challenges that you're facing. And so Jesus, in the passages of Scripture, taught what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount or the mountain, and it changed everything. And we find this sermon depicted in three chapters in the book of Matthew, which is in the New Testament. So I would encourage you to be reading along with us in Matthews 5 through 7, because we're not going to be able to unpack this. We could literally do a series for 37 years and not unpack everything that God was teaching through Jesus in this moment, but we are going to pull some major themes. And today we're going to jump into what is known as the Beatitudes. Everyone say Beatitudes. Everyone say it like you mean it, Beatitudes. How many of you, just show of hands, no shame either way, how many of you have heard that term before? Would you raise your hand? Okay, if you haven't, it's no big deal. It's just referring to the statements that Jesus made. Every statement in the first few passages, he would say, blessed are the blank. He would fill in the word and he would say why they are blessed. And what the Beatitudes are is they're a shot of caffeine, if you will, spiritual caffeine to anyone that thinks that religion is all miserable, boring, and disgusting. Well, let me just actually pause. Perhaps religion is. But Jesus is saying there's more to the life that you're living than you think is possible. God's heart for you and for me and for his church is anything but miserableness. And so in this passage of scripture, Jesus singles out eight aspects of character and conduct of a follower of Jesus 
Now, that's an important thing to note real quickly. When Jesus begins this sermon, this message, he's talking to those of us who refer to ourselves as Christ followers or the word Christian. So if you're here today and you're not sure where you fit into the categories of faith, maybe you're wrestling and you're not even sure what you believe, hey, welcome home, permission to belong before you believe. And if you are here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, that I've surrendered my life to him, that I'm doing everything I can to be like him, then guys, Jesus is talking to you. Turn your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Turn your other neighbor and say, really, he's talking to you. So Jesus pulls out these eight aspects of, of conduct and character that should be in, in the life of a follower of Jesus, and each aspect or statement begins with, blessed is he, or we can insert she, blessed is he or she, and then he continues on. And the word blessed literally means highly favored. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're highly favored. It also translates into a word fulfilled, and literally into the word happy. So to be fulfilled and highly favored and happy, what Jesus is saying is that life pursuing Jesus, actually allowing him to influence our character and our conduct is a life of profound joy. He's saying, man, when you're pursuing me with everything, regardless of what you face, you're going to experience a joy that no circumstance can take away. So he sat down and he began to teach these things and I think it's important for us to lean in. Not only is this a life of joy and fulfillment and being highly favored, but it's not just for some distant future, it's for right now. Amen. So we're gonna dive into three of these aspects found in Matthew chapter five and today I'm reading from the message paraphrase. And I love the way that it depicts the words of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And I want to encourage you, by the way, to, you should text the word notes to the number we use all the time. All of my notes are in there, and you're going to want to download and write down and capture some of the scripture. I think it'll be worth it to you. So look at what we find in Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screens if you didn't bring your Bible or your phone, which we all know you did. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says this You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed or blessed is he or she who's at the end of their rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. What a contrast here. If we think about it, Jesus is saying, hey, when, when, when you're at the end of your rope, when something is challenging and awful, Jesus comes in and reframes it and says, there's still something better for you. Blessed are you, or you are highly favored when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there's more of God. One translation says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. The poor in spirit. And there's, there's nothing sexy or fun or encouraging uh, about being at the end of my rope. Can I get an amen from some friends in here? And there's nothing, like, you know what I want to do today? I want to wake up and be at the end of my rope. That'd be awesome. And this, this imagery, is, it's actually found in this concept of a rope or a tether or a leash attached to an animal, which limits its movement and the ability for it to go beyond the, the length of the tether. Picture perhaps a, a donkey or a horse or a cow attached to a leash that allows it only to graze as far as the rope would allow. 
So in other words, once it reaches the, the extent of the rope, the extent of the tether, then this animal runs out of options and resources. So you, you can graze here. You can graze if you want to. And that's not the song. But once you get to the end of the rope, you're, you're done. That's as far as you can go. To me, it's this concept that maybe you can identify that, that I'm, I'm held back from the resources that I need. I'm completely out of control. It's the imagery of seeing everything and everyone else's right solutions and answers and blessings except you. Like you just see, it seems like everyone else has it all together. Everything they're praying for and hoping for, it's happening. But for me, I'm at the end of my rope. There's nothing here. I'm out of control. We hate being out of control, don't we? We hate it. In fact, some of you in this room have literally created marginalized and safe and risk-free lives in an attempt to maintain the illusion of control. Let me say that again. Some of you in this room, you've literally created a marginalized, safe, and risk-free life in an attempt to maintain the illusion of control. You don't try new things anymore. You don't build new relationships because the past ones seem to fail you. And you're concerned it's only going to happen again. You don't step outside of your comfort zone because everything right here is safe. Until life happens. And then all of a sudden it dawns on you, control really is an illusion. I'm completely out of control. I'm at the end of my rope. We realize that there are some things, in fact, some major things that I cannot control. And then we scramble mentally and emotionally. I've got to figure this thing out. I've got to make it happen. I've got to get a plan. I've got to get everything back into control. And what we do unintentionally is we actually make our own logic, our own wisdom, our own solution, our own plans. We make them the idol in our life. It becomes the resource. And we scramble diligently trying to get things back into control, but we're blind to it until our logic and our reason and our plans don't work out. Have you ever been there? That's being at the end of your rope when nobody has a solution for you. When it doesn't matter what the doctor says, I don't know if it's going to change. That's the end of your rope. And that's when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, once you realize, once you take the blinders off to the illusion of control, you'll probably start to look to me. Once you realize, isn't that the way we do it? I've done everything I know to do. All that's left now is for me to pray. God becomes the last ditch effort, the Hail Mary. Like, please, you got, I don't know what to do, God. My intellect, my knowledge, my plans, my ideals, they were an idol, but now they're not working. So, God, you better show up. 
We even use that in our language when things are going good. We say, man, God's just being so faithful right now. No, actually, correction, God's always faithful. Sometimes life just sucks. Ooh, that was a good amen. I'm going to reserve that one for my next sermon. James 4.8 talks about this. It's one of my favorite verses. I think it's literally probably the most important and profound verses in the scripture that when we draw near to God, he does what? He draws near to us. And yet we, we just surround ourselves with the problems that we have and our own solutions and our own ideas. And God's just going, hey, maybe when you get to that place that I'm the only thing that you got, guess what? I'll still be there. I am the solution. I am what you need. So Jesus, when he's talking about blessed are those who are poor in spirit or blessed are those that at the end of the rope, he's talking about people who have confidence in God alone. In God alone. Not in a career, not in your job, not in your finances, not in your spouse, not in your relationships, not in the role you play at church, but just in God. He's talking about people who have learned to put their trust in him alone. So that's you, and you, you are at the end of your rope, or maybe you are the one who is constantly trying to control things and make them just a little bit better. Here's my encouragement for you. Just pray first. Yeah. Just push pause. And just say, wait, okay, God, I, I don't know what to do. Even if I have a plan, God, I don't know if it's the right plan. What do you want for me? Man, what, what a way to live a life. You're arguing with your spouse? I never do that, but you do, I'm sure. <laughs> what if you just pause? Hang on, hang on, wait a minute. God, help us to see what you want to do in this, in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Fix my wife's stubborn heart, amen? <laughs> no, that's not the prayer to pray. Would y'all pray for her, but y'all, yeah. Here's the way I like to say it. I, I like to ask God to breathe on the situation. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a breath of fresh air. You ever been at that place at the end of your rope where you just need a breath of fresh air? Some wind in your sails? I, I pray that. God never has morning breath, by the way. I said, God, just breathe on this situation. That was funnier than 90% of you laughed. Just breathe on this situation. In other words, he doesn't show in and like blow you up and redirect your whole. He just shows up in this peaceful way. Why? Because he brings a peace that passes all understanding. God never works in confusion. So he just shows up and he's like, oh man, here's what we're gonna do. He continues in this sermon in Matthew chapter five, verse four. He says this, you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Other translations say like this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be Comforted, he's saying highly favored, filled with joy when you lose that which you love most because then you'll be comforted by me. And I'm just thinking, can I pass on the lost and heartbreak, please, Jesus? You ever lost someone or something that you didn't know how to recover from? I have. I have. I've lost people in my world that I love so dearly. And here's the challenge. That pain doesn't go away. It doesn't go. The years might pass, but the pain is still real. I was watching a movie yesterday at the theater, and 
guy lost his father, and I'm weeping. As I was reminded of my dad, those pain moments don't go away. And you know what? There's, there, there's the pain of the loss of, of things that are outside of my control. But do you know that I've also lost chapters of my life due to foolish decisions? You ever been there? And you know what doesn't go away is regret. <sighs> I've never met a giant in the faith who hasn't struggled with regret from poor choices of the past. I do. I'm out. I don't want any more heartbreak or loss. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But my friend's loss is inevitable. And when it happens, we feel that the solution is to replace what is lost. Well, you, you can't replace my dad who's no longer here. But we want that. Replace what is lost. We try to replace months or years of, of our life just being in a wreck. We try to replace it, but we can't replace what is lost. And I think the reason we try to replace it is because we live in this upbeat on the upswing society which treats vulnerability and pain with contempt. Wow. We don't know how to handle it. We, we gotta always be good. Everything's gotta be perfect. Rush through the pain, replace what you've lost, move on, feel nothing. But yet we still experience loss. Notice Jesus doesn't come in and say, hey, when you lose something, I'll replace it. In fact, he doesn't even say that the hurt will go away. He doesn't even say I'm going to make everything. He doesn't even say that you'll stop feeling overwhelmed. In fact, Jesus, in some of the most encouraging words that he had, came in and said, hey, you're going to have trials and tribulation always. You ever heard the word tribulation and been encouraged? You may not even know what that means, but you, you associate that with some biblical horror. You're going to have these always. But he follows that with, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. The writer Paul comes in in 2 Corinthians 4 and he says, though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. Everything is closing in around you, but you are not crushed. And at times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but we are not knocked out. I get knocked down, but I got up again. And now let's move on. <laughs> and my friends is called a broken heart regardless of what causes it and Jesus is saying when your heart is broken I do my best work when you've lost what seems to be most dear I do my best work the problem is is some of us in this room have allowed our broken heart to become a calloused heart wow. and a calloused heart keeps everything at bay Nothing in, nothing out. A broken heart has the potential to be healed. That's what Jesus is saying. So how, how, do, we, how do we do that? We're, we're wide open when it's broken. God, I, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to deal with God. You do what you do best. So how do we see the difference between a broken and a callous heart? Well, I'm so glad you asked. A broken heart is searching for healing. A callous heart is waiting for disappointment. Wow. 
It's always been there. I'm just waiting for it around. Sure, the grass is greener in somebody else's yard, but man, it just, I'm at the end of my rope again. And a broken heart is seeking relationship, but a callous heart is holding on to resentment. I'm just going to hold on. I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm just going to be ticked off at you for what you did, what you didn't do, when you weren't there, when you abandoned, when you walked out. A broken heart is searching for just some hope. But a callous heart is searching for someone to blame. BTW, by the way, a callous heart is just a broken heart in denial. Somewhere, at some point, maybe your dad abandoned you and he walked out. Your mom criticized you too much. Or maybe somebody betrayed you. And instead of staying at a place of brokenness, you allowed a callus to develop. No one in, no one out. And I just wonder if that's why Jesus wanted to remind us that when our heart is broken, even though the pain seems overwhelming, that's when I do my best work. You don't have to stay there. And he says, I, I can't change it. And here's the truth. He can't prevent it from happening again. He, he doesn't control us. As people, we have what's called free will. And that's challenging for us because we want him just to fix the problem. Isn't that how we handle life? Just fix the problem. But when you lose something or someone so dear that it breaks your heart or you lose chapters of your life because you made foolish choices, that pain may not go away. But God has this profound, miraculous way of helping you become stronger if you allow him to do a healing work. I can't change it. I can't prevent it from happening again, but I will be close. He comes in and he says, when you're at the end of your rope, I'm all you need. And remember, you're highly favored and blessed. And when your heart is broken, when you feel like you lost everything, man, I got you. I, I will come in and, and heal because you're blessed and highly favored. This is the life that you and I were created to live and look at me in the eyes. It's the life you wanna live. Jesus isn't saying you must accept this. He's saying here is what I have for you. A hiccup burped in my mouth. <laughs> Thought I was having a stroke for a minute. He goes on, Matthew 5, 5. I have ADHD, guys. It's just part of it. Matthew 5, 5. Look at this. It'll be on the screen for you. I love this. And I, I was praying specifically this morning for you. And this, I know there's, there's a few of you in this room that need this today, not to hear their words, but to allow God to speak the revelation. Matthew 5, 5. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. 
Other translations say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed and highly favored are those who are content in their identity in Christ. Content in their identity in Christ. That's what truly living looks like. To recognize that I might be at the end of my rope, I might be experiencing loss and heartache, but it's okay. I might be hard pressed on every side, knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I don't have all the answers, but he does. And in the darkest moment, he's closer to me than I could ever possibly imagine. This is what it means to live life truly, to be fulfilled. That is success. Not the proud, not the arrogant, not the poor, not the rich, not the affluent, not the influential. Just the people who understand I am who God created me to be and this is enough. So the question for you is, what, what in your mind defines success for you? What makes you feel validated? What makes you feel successful? Is it your career? Your education? Maybe you've got your master's, your doctorate, and it makes you feel validated. Is it the certain number of your annual income? Is it a certain title in your occupation? You've been working towards that your whole life, and that's what's key. When you get there, I'll be fulfilled. Is it a must-have vehicle? Is it the house in the neighborhood? What makes you feel significant? Not the person seated next to you. What makes you feel significant? Is it photographable holidays with your family? Is it home decor that rivals Chip and Joanne Gaines? You laugh. You laugh. But for many, that has become the epitome of success. Is it the toys in your garage? A certain number of followers in your social media? What makes you feel worthy? What makes you feel worthy? I, I would dare to say that some of us in this room, you might be honest and just say, I don't ever feel worthy. Is it a healthy physique? A pant size? A body weight? Is it affirmation from him or from her? Is it being asked for wisdom and insight and help? Like you want to be the go-to person? Is it being looked to as a leader? If you or I derive worth or significance or value from anything other than simply being his, then my friends, you are living a frustrated and just discouraging and unfulfilled and redundant life. What makes you feel worthy? Why do you think it is that we teach children the song at such a young age? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible is reminding me constantly that little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong.
yes, Jesus loves me. Some of you need to be reminded of that today. I think that's why Jesus preached this message over and over again. And we know that this is why he lived his life. Because if you were the only person on the planet, he still would have gone to the cross for you. If you were to spit in his face and say, I'll never believe in you, he would say, I'm still gonna go to the cross and give you a chance. Because you are his. And I just wonder what would shift and change in your life, in every relationship, if you had that revelation, not knowledge. Sometimes our knowledge stops before it gets to our heart, the understanding that come hell or high water, whatever I walk through, whatever mistakes I've made, I am still chosen by him. What would it shift and change in your life? Maybe today is simply about that revelation becoming a reality for you. You are his. Not the summation of your accomplishments, not your last greatest achievement, not the dollar amount that you have in your account. You are his. Blessed, and highly favored, and full of joy. How many of you would just say honestly that, you know what? I needed this realization today. Would you raise your hand? Me too. Can I pray for us? Hey, would you, let's do me a favor. If you're sitting by somebody that you know, would you just grab their hand or put your hand on their shoulder? Just like, hey, I'm in this with you. If you feel awkward, don't grab anybody's hand. Sometimes, sometimes we disconnect so much from humanity and it's just a reflection of us shutting off our life to, to people. And then we do the same thing to God. What if we just said, God, today, I, right here, right now, I, I want to be yours. Can I pray for us? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we recognize you're doing something in this moment, and man, we need you. God, even in the moment now, I, I'm reminded of so many shortcomings and chapters of my life that I have regret for, but even now, I feel you so close saying, man, but you're mine. And I just pray for every individual in this room that that would become a reality of understanding for them and not just a knowledge. Maybe just right where you're seated in a whisper, just say, I am his. Say it again, say, I am his. God, do a work in our life. Let it go from knowledge to understanding. Let it go from our mind to our heart. That it would change and shape who we are in everything and in every interaction. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hey, look at me for a moment. Some of you need to begin a journey with Jesus today. Nobody leaving, nobody moving. I don't want anybody to distract this moment because it's why we're here. There's a starting point with Jesus. It's not church membership. Look at me. It's not eradicating your past. It's just simply saying yes to him. And some of you in this room haven't made that decision. And some of you in this room, you know what I'm about to say because you've been here for months. You've been running from God and today's the day to come running back. Some of you have been running from God because you're terrified of what might happen if you actually let him in.
today is your day to come running back. So if you're here and you've never begun the journey with Jesus or you need to run back to him, I want to pray a prayer and give you some words to make this a reality in your life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, one more time. If that's you, you need to pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me in a a small whisper of the quietness of your own heart. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real, that you love me. Say these words that you've chosen me. I'm not perfect, would you forgive me? And now make this declaration your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life, all of it, all the pain, all the hurt, all the loss, all the heartache, I give you everything. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.